we have come to that uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount to continue that section. And uh, we have uh, come to the topic of fasting. You know, it is interesting that when you look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus basically says this. He says that when you give, and you would think that he says when, not if. So it could be that he kind of expects people to give when they give alms. It's when, not if. He goes on to say, when you pray, he didn't say if, and we all say that, yes, we're supposed to be givers, we're supposed to be prayers, but you know, he uses that same phrase when he says, when you fast. He didn't say, if you fast, and I dare say that most people in our culture and generation, fasting is not one of those three that are listed there, it's just, we just sort of neglect that one. Uh, not out of anything other than maybe we don't understand fasting as we should. And so uh, I had done some research, and uh, Don knew I had done this research, and so he said, hey, why don't you talk about fasting instead of him? So I think that's what happened. But first we have to ask the question, what really is fasting? You know, what is it, what's Jesus talking about? And, you know, usually fasting is abstaining from food for a certain period of time. And, you know, there are different types of fasting in the Bible, and not all of them really involve food, but uh, people fasted for various reasons. You know, we we have Moses, David, Daniel, all fasting in the Old Testament. We've got Anna, Paul, Jesus fasting in the New Testament, and it's, you know, we have many important figures all the way through Christian history that, that made it a habit of fasting. And so we have to remember that biblical fasting is closely related to repentance. That's many times, we kind of leave that out. We focus on the food and the abstaining of that, but we, we don't really focus on the repentance as much. You know, in the example of David, in the Old Testament, he fasted out of repentance. The nation of Israel, out of repentance. The city of Nineveh, out of repentance. Uh, fasting is also related to a passionate prayer. We can see passionate prayer. King uh, Jehoshaphat and Queen Esther are great examples of passionate prayer that they called for fast ahead of time. And so that was something very important. So fasting really comes from humility of the heart, putting ourselves in that, that submissive permission. So in Matthew's context, in the Sermon on the Mount here, apparently Jesus had noticed that something about uh, the religious leaders and how they exercise their spiritual disciplines. Uh, They seem to fast perhaps with impure motives as we read through the Sermon on the Mount. They were perhaps seeking attention from the people around them more than seeking after God to reveal something to them or speak to them or lead them. And so as we think about uh, what God has done with the topic of fasting, we want to stay in the Bible, find out those examples, and see what we can do with that. Now, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, great example. But let's go back 700 years before Jesus. (laughs) And, uh, and, And we're going to take a look at what the people were doing during their fasting. And so this is in Isaiah chapter 58. And I'll just look at the first few verses there. I think there's only 14 in the chapter, but we'll look at the first ones. I'd like to read it because it is quite interesting about how not to fast. So we need to take a look at what it says here. This is out of the New Living Translation, by the way. 
Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people, Israel, of their sins. This is Isaiah. God's talking to Isaiah to say, don't hold back. Tell my people about their sins. And he's going to go on in this chapter. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. This is crazy stuff, is it not? And so, in verse 3, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, God responds. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Verse 4, what good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. And verse 5, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? And so verses 6, 7, and 8, God talks about the kind of fasting that He wants. No, this is the kind of fasting that I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lift, uh, lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. <laughs> Don't you just love that? I'm from Alabama where they come out of the woodwork. But then in verse 8, Then your salvation will come like the dawn, and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. And so did you get all of that? Isaiah 58 is a tremendous passage of Scripture. Now, maybe you've already checked out because you're saying, Hey, I don't fast. I don't need to listen to this. <laughs> all right, If you've checked out, come back in for just a minute. Because it really is easy for us to exchange the word fasting and insert the word worship. Now, it seems like, hey, this seems a bit more personal now. Because if fasting really is something that deals with our worship and our devotion to God, there may be some things that we really can learn here. So these people in Isaiah's day, basically, they were playing church. They were not really committed to their God. They weren't committed to Him. They showed up because of tradition. They showed up because it was a habit, not because they were seeking the face of God. Now, to put it bluntly, we learned in our communication experience on April 1st that perhaps these people were seeking the hand of God what he can provide way more than they're seeking the face of God.
because of who he is. And that uh, could be what they were doing. They were chasing after what God would give them rather than chasing after the God who redeemed them and therefore giving to God what he desires most. And what he desires most is a people who were sincerely and wholly devoted to God for who he is rather than what he has done or can do for them. So, wow, that seems harsh to say all that. <laughs> what happened 2,700 years ago. But maybe, just maybe, it feels harsh because we can see ourselves in this passage of Scripture. These words are making perhaps some of us very uncomfortable now. Because have we, do we fit that? Have we been playing church, just showing up because that's my habit? Or do we really expect to meet God here? and seek his face. And so while I'm not an expert on fasting, I am quite diligent when it comes to research. And so uh, I just want to share some things that I have discovered in my research. I was reading a book by uh, Elmer Towns, if you recognize that name. He's a pastor, writer, educator, and co-founder and past vice president of Liberty University, which we know that's in Virginia. Uh, he started that uh, school back uh, with Jerry Falwell back in 1971. So I, I just want to share some of the things that I gleaned out of reading his material. And so um, if you would, I'm, I'm going to talk about the kinds of fasts that God can use. And there's nine of them. Nine fasts that God can use. And so from the very beginning, going back to the beginnings of the Old Testament, uh, people have sought after God. You know, they wrongly built the Tower of Babel because they were seeking God. They were trying to get up uh, to Him. They rebelliously carved images that displeased God, but they wanted to be near Him, so they carved images. They arrogantly conceived and lived by legalistic laws seemingly to impress God with their behavior. They constructed monasteries and isolated themselves in order to free themselves from the world and to impress God with their devotion. They even fasted wrongly in an attempt to divert His attention from the things they should have been doing, but they were neglecting. And so religious practices such as fasting have been less important than actually doing God's will. And that's what we read in Isaiah 58. Now, there's a shorter verse, rather than all that in Isaiah 58. We can look at uh, Micah 6, 8. Because sometimes we say, God, what do you want of me? Just tell me what you want. And here's a one-line statement. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Wow, if we could do that, we would probably be doing pretty well. But to walk humbly with your God, that's probably the part that we struggle with the most. So fasting is not an end in itself, but it's a means which we can worship the Lord and submit ourselves in humility to Him. You know, we don't make God love us any more than He already does if we fast, or if we fast long for longer periods of time, even if we wanted to, we cannot even manipulate God. I'll do this because I want to get something from Him, and surely He'll give me what I'm asking for by, by doing this discipline. 
We fast and we pray for results, but the results are always in God's hands. So God gives us various purposes of fasting throughout the Scripture. And so I've read this well-known passage in Isaiah 58. People quote it a lot, of, you know, when it comes to fasting. But but it gives a veritable laundry list of warnings. <laughs> and so it is good to pay attention to that. But it also gives us some very positive results that we need to embrace if we are going to submit ourselves to the discipline of fasting. Now it's very important to learn that this passage. Uh, up in this passage that talk about the facts, the fast that do not please God, as well as those fasts that he really does want. And so I'm going to focus a lot on verses 6, 7, and 8 of Isaiah 58. So if you're there. And so the reason, God says, is that they ignored the, the way fasting should change their lives. And it just became an empty ritual. And that was their indictment. He said, we fasted before you. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves. You don't even take notice. You know, you can just imagine this, these measly people just thinking that they're doing all this great stuff for God and God's not even noticing. And so I'll tell you why. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. It's, it's just, it's just a, quite an indictment. And they kept on doing things that God disapproved of and uh, it didn't change their behavior. And so like a lot of Christians today, God's people considered worship to be merely a private and an inward act. They would do their fasting. But it was going to be a, a private thing. They're not going to demonstrate it. They're not going to show it out in their everyday lives. Many times we will focus on the personal dimension of our work, worship. But the rebuke comes in verse 5 when he says, look, you humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance. Going through the motions. That is a horrible phrase. May that not be said of us, that we're just going through the motions of penance. The purpose of all worship, including fasting, is to change the worshiper to change the worshiper in ways that have social and interrelational impact. We worship not just to please ourselves, but also to become empowered by God to change ourselves and hopefully change the world by impacting that lost world. So God goes on to specify the kinds of fasts that he does want. And so verses 6, 7, and 8, I'm actually going to mention these nine ways out of those couple of verses. I can't go in in depth on any of them, but I just found this fascinating, and I want to share it with you. And so God wants the people to continue fasting, but to extend the results of their fasting through their actions in everyday life. And we talk about what kind of actions. It's the fruit that we can bear for our Lord and Savior. So we want to show fruit. And so this is what he's going to talk about. So when, when Towns talks about these nine kinds of fast that Christians can rediscover today, it's not just for our own benefit, but it's for the benefit of other people. So I just want to share these with you. And uh, these are the nine fasts. Now, to better illustrate and reveal the significance of these nine, fast, nine reasons for fastings, Towns shares, and I want to pass this on to you, these nine biblical characters. 
And so this is creative. I'm going to have them, each one up on the screen. So if you're taking notes, you'll be able to see that and where it comes from. But these characters whose lives personified the literal or figurative theme of each of the nine aspects that we are going to highlight in Isaiah 58. So each fast has a different name, uh, accomplishes a different purpose, and follows a different prescription. And again, we can't go in depth, but I just thought it was fascinating to share these different kinds of fast. So the first one, uh, we're going to call it the disciples fast. And so uh, out of Isaiah 58 verse 6, to loose the bonds of wickedness, basically freeing ourselves and others from addiction to sin. So if we want to whip sin, this may be a good way to do it. We can do what's called the disciples' fast. And the, the parallel passage is in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. It says this, uh, but, but this kind, this demon possession, of the, they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and the disciples couldn't cast out this demon. They had authority to cast out demons, but they couldn't. And so Jesus says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Okay, so in context of this particular story in Matthew chapter 17, apparently they had not taken seriously enough the way that Satan had his claws in this young man. And they had not spiritually prepared themselves to deal with that particular situation. So the implication is that Jesus' disciples could have performed this exorcism had they been willing to undergo the discipline of fasting. That's what we might assume out of that passage of Scripture. So modern disciples often make light of what we call entangling or ensnaring sins, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 about setting aside all those sins that so easily ensnare us and entangle us. Because we all can name that for ourselves personally. And so maybe since we can't put it aside as easily as we should be able to, maybe it's because we're only praying about it and we're not praying and fasting. That's a real possibility. So when we think about that, we, that they were not able to cast out because it was serious enough to take, they had to take part in this self-denying practice of fasting. And so that's why Towns calls this one, the first one, the disciples fast. And I thought that was kind of interesting. All right, the second one is the Ezra fast. And this comes out of Isaiah 58, verse 6, to undo the bands of the yoke, basically to solve problems, inviting the Holy Spirit's help in lifting burdens and overcoming barriers that keep ourselves and our loved ones from walking faithfully with the Lord. We all struggle with that, to walk faithfully with the Lord. There are things, we have problems, there are situations, and so maybe we need to engage the Ezra fast. Now, the, the passage in Ezra is chapter 8, verse 23. It says, So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entry, uh, entreaty. And so the Ezra fast. They got together and fasted and prayed to the Lord, earnestly prayed. And so here's a little bit of the background. Ezra the priest was charged with restoring the law of Moses when they were coming back from exile and the captivity. They were rebuilding the city of Jer Jerusalem by the permission of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. 
And so this, God's people were, were held captive in this other place. And so despite this permission that they had from the king, Israel's enemies still opposed them. So Ezra realized that we had to do more than just pray about this. They did a prayer and they fasted because of Israel's enemies that were all around them. They were burdened with the embarrassment about having to ask the Persian king for an army to protect them. So Ezra fasted and prayed for an answer. That's what happened. So I discovered that there were three causes of problems, and I thought this was interesting to pass on. Um, the causes of, of problems that might need an Ezra fast. Maybe uh, change causes problems. When, when things change... Problems will come. So the early church had to set their strategy. They had to change it. They needed to send out missionaries. So when you get to Acts chapter 13, they fasted and they prayed and they appointed Paul and Barnabas for the work. They had to change their strategy. Changes were coming. And they had to fast as well as pray. Uh, differences cause problems. You know, people are different ethnically, doctrinally, politically, socially. Ezra gathered the people at the river to show them the threatening wilderness. Boys, this is where we're going. It does not look very hospitable. And when we get there, I heard from Nehemiah. <laughs> there are people <laughs> that are causing trouble. It is not going to be easy out there. And so he had the, pray, the prayer and the fast to help unite the people because of the differences. Let's unite all of them so they can work toward the problem. And the third cause of, of problems can be circumstances, whether these situations are personal, family problems, marriage problems, small group problems, community problems, church problems. Problems arise out of circumstances. And so maybe an Ezra fast is needed in those situations. All right, another one, uh, the Samuel fast. Uh, this is out of uh, Isaiah 58, verse 6. And it's and it basically to let the oppressed go free. And this is basically physically physical oppression or spiritual oppression is the way I would interpret that. And so this fast is about revival. It's about reach, reaching a lost world to identify with people where they are enslaved, whether they are enslaved literally or enslaved by sin, to pray to be used of God to bring people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And so maybe a Samuel fast is needed. And so this is what Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 6. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out to the Lord. And fasted on that day and said, we have sinned against the Lord. This was a community thing. The Samuel fast. We have sinned against the Lord. And we need to, to get that straight. So it's a formal fast. And, but it also might take necessary steps. You know, you've got to call the body together. I mean, goodness, they were from 12 different tribes. They've got to come together and, and unite over this thing. Everybody had their own differences. They were spiritual intricacies, different internal things going on, political, military, social. All, these 12 tribes were so different, but he had to unite them for the task. So he had to call the body together. Uh, the other thing, if you back up just a couple of verses to verse 3, you have to demonstrate true repentance. 
Samuel says, if you return to the Lord with all your heart and remove those foreign gods from among yourselves, he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. And so there had to be this repentance from sin. And then uh, 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 this uh, demonstration of true repentance. The third thing is separate from secret sin. Uh, This is more than just being convicted of sin while you're here. This is like when we're at home where we're convicted that whatever that sin is, it's wrong. And so we need to be just as convicted at home and on the computer and whatever else as we are here. Um, The fourth thing, have a corporate confession of sin. They said we have sinned against the Lord. They didn't cast the blame on somebody else. It's those other people. We have sinned. And then acknowledge the power of God's word. 1 Samuel 3, 1 also says that the word of the Lord was rare or precious in those days before Samuel had heard. Nobody was hearing anything from the Lord, but Samuel heard. His name goes to Eli and said, you know, what do you need? He said, hey, it wasn't me. It must have been the Lord, you know, so go back and listen. And so the power of God's word. Now, last weekend at the Jonah play, I find it fascinating that without even the proper motivation Jonah goes into Nineveh and has this one-line message from God, 40 days, and then Nineveh will be overthrown. Think of the power of God's Word. One phrase, you don't put this on your recruitment poster for, to be on God's team. But the city repents because of the power of God's Word. All right, so that's the Samuel fast. The next one's the Elijah fast. This one, as you can tell, is probably a little bit more extreme. Uh, to break every yoke in Isaiah 58, verse 6. And so basically conquering the mental and emotional problems that really do control our lives, and we need to return that control back to God. And the key verse is uh, in, uh, that's in Elijah's life was 1 Kings 19, verses 4 and 8. He himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He rose ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and nights. Now, it doesn't, you know, in context, we know he's running away from Queen Jezebel, says, you're going to be like all those prophets of Baal, I'm going to kill you. And, uh, and so he's running for his life. Um, but it could be that, that Elisha's really having this mental crisis. He's had this wonderful spiritual victory, and now he's in the pits of depression, and he's fearful of what's going on. So maybe this fast is for those who need to break negative attitudes and bad emotional habits. And so the Elijah fast. And so, you know, Don is much more skilled at dealing with the emotional and mental health of people, but we can all read in this story that I think Elijah was depressed. You know, he's running away from, from everything that he knows, and and he needs to have a fresh encounter with God. And so, um, so even though he had a tremendous victory over the prophets of Baal, he was exhausted and ran for his life. And uh, maybe he, got, he had some in, in, insecurities. And, uh, and he ran away rather than facing that. Uh, Noah preached against drunkenness as a whole generation, you know, preached against drunkenness for that whole generation, yet his own children were judged and cursed because of that drunkenness. That's a little ironic, isn't it? Abraham trusted God by faith, yet he lied about his own wife. Moses was the most humble man on the earth, yet he was not allowed to enter the promised land. And then Peter experiences the last supper with his Lord and Savior, and within 24 hours, 
He denies that he even knows the Lord. It can happen to the best of us. And so we're not beyond, you know, identifying with Elijah. Uh, The next one, number five, is the widow's fast. And uh, the passage in Isaiah 58 is verse 7, to divide your bread with the hungry and to care for the poor. And basically this is to meet humanitarian needs. When we fast, we should come out of that with some fruit. And maybe it's meeting humanitarian needs. Uh, The key verse is uh, 1 Kings verse 17. uh, The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. And so if you remember this particular story, Elijah you know, is, is sent by God to this poor, starving widow. And ironically, the widow could provide some food for Elijah. So just as Elijah's pres- presence resulted in, in food for the widow, so presenting ourselves before God in prayer and fasting can relieve the hunger of other people today. Now, the thing that I noticed out of this widow is that the widow was willing to go without food to feed the prophet of God. So the widow's fast. So basically she meets a humanitarian need in the life of another person. And while fasting is not specifically mentioned here, the spirit is giving its consent that those who deprive themselves of something can also benefit others. And that's what we need to take a look at. Uh, Paul kind of does the same thing with the... uh, churches in Macedonia. It says this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8. He says uh, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord and begging us with much urging for the favor of participating with the support of the saints for others, for others. And so since I've talked about Paul, let's go to the Paul fast, the St. Paul fast. This is in Isaiah 58, verse 8. Uh, to allow God's light to break out like the dawn. And this basically would be designed to bring a clearer perspective and insight as we make important decisions. And the Paul's fast is because of Acts chapter 9 and verse 9. And he went three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. So Paul was fasting and praying during that time. Had to come to to, to grips with what God is calling him to do and what he needed to do. And so he was without literal sight and he had no clue about the direction his life was about to take. So After going without food and praying for three days, Paul was visited by the Christian Ananias, and both his sight and his vision for the future was restored. So uh, we know that God guides us through his words. You know, we hear it preached, we study it in the group context, but but there there are many ways that we can receive guidance because of God's word. Let's seek him. And, uh, and, and just some of them, you know, he directs us with the counsel of friends. Uh, he sovereignly guides his people. He directs inwardly. He directs, uh, I got verses for all these. I'm going to put them on the website so you can kind of have all this stuff. But uh, he directs us inwardly. He directs us by opportunities. He directs us when we have a yielded spirit. 
He directs us through our spiritual giftedness. He directs us through our common sense at times, Proverbs 16, 9. And he guides us through prayer and fasting, as we saw in Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. The point is, when you have a big decision to make, perhaps we need to add fasting to our prayer life. Now, uh, the next one is uh, the Daniel fast. And uh, I'm not going to talk about the Daniel fast like uh, the change your eating book that is out, the Daniel fast. Um, But this one is from verse 8 of Isaiah 58. Your recovery will speedily spring forth to gain a healthier life and for healing. Sometimes we pray and fast. And this is what Daniel says in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine that he drank. And so Daniel and his three Hebrew friends, they're in the Babylonian captivity and they keep away from the the foods that the pagans were enjoying. God had guided them not to eat those foods because there was something more that he wanted from them, more healthier. They they were going to be more healthy in the king's court. And that's what we read in the book of Daniel. But we have to remember that we pray, for fast, uh, he, uh, we pray and fast for healing. We must always remember that it's God who does the healing. He doesn't look at us and, and, and he changes his mind. He's sovereign at what he does. But we do it out of obedience. We don't do it in order to get the results. And then when we don't get the results we want, then we're going to say, ah, prayer and fasting doesn't work. So we have to be aware of that. So uh, curative fasting can be like James chapter 5, verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. I mean, we do want that to happen. And so that is a verse that we can pray back to the Lord. But there's also preventative fasting. We have to abstain from certain bad foods if we want to be healthy. And so we think about too much sugar, fatty foods, dessert, alcohol, too much salt, all this kind of stuff your doctor says. Change your diet if you want to be healthy. And so, anyway, that's, uh, that's the Daniel fast. Uh, number eight is the, the John the Baptist fast. Uh, this is out of Isaiah 58, 8. Your righteousness will go before you. That even sounds like John the Baptist, doesn't it? He was a forerunner to Jesus. The point is that our testimonies and influence for Jesus will be enhanced in the front of others. As we live our lives, perhaps the John the Baptist fast will help us to really live out what we should be doing in order to bring people into the kingdom. The key verse is Luke 1.15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit yet, uh, while yet in his mother's womb. So speaking of John the Baptist, that he abstained from certain foods, Alcohol and strong drink uh, being one. He had that Nazarite vow. It required him to fast or avoid these things. But that was part of John's purposely adopted lifestyle that really designated him as one who was set apart on a mission. Okay, so the John the Baptist fast. So the believer's righteousness, which comes from the righteousness of Christ, or the believer's testimony will extend far beyond our physical limitations 
Uh, John the Baptist's fast, and, fast enables us to ask God to reach those who do not know him and use that to, to pray and to fast, to, to pray for lost people. Perhaps seeing us or the, seeing the Jesus in us, they might be drawn to God. That's what we would hope for. And so we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but basically we need to empty our lives of sin, yield ourselves to God, ask the Spirit to be evident in our life, to have faith that God's going to come through, obey God's revealed Word, walk consistently in the Spirit, allow the Spirit to empower us. These are the things that we can do as a part of the John the Baptist fast. If we want to have influence over other people that would lead them toward salvation in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can, we can pray that we would surrender, that we would submit, and we would sacrifice ourselves to allow Jesus to shine through us. All right, the last one is the Esther fast. You probably knew that one was coming. And this is out of Isaiah 58, 8. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard basically protecting us from the evil one. Doesn't the enemy just wait for the straggler and he pounces on them from behind, right? Uh, we kind of see that in every movie where they're in a single file line. The last guy is the most vulnerable, right? Uh, what does a roaring lion do? He, gets, he roars way out here and he's, the people can scatter and he'll pick them off when, when they least expect it. But with Esther, there are two verses in particular. You see them there, uh, 4.16 and 5.2. She basically calls, Go assemble all the Jews who were found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my maids will also fast the same way. And as I go into the king, which is not according to the law, if I perish, I perish. She had faith that I'm going to do this because I need to go in to see the king. And uh, when the king saw Queen Esther in chapter 5, uh, her standing in the court, she obtained his favor and she was able to enter in. Okay, so she prayed and fasted. Now we all go through many dangers in this life and some of them are just because we're followers of Jesus. We have certain dangers. There are over four dozen countries all around this world that it's illegal to follow Jesus. It's illegal to have a Bible. So being a believer in many places around this world is quite difficult. And so uh, when we look, when, when Satan's attacks are coming after God's people, maybe the Esther fast is something that needs to be done. It's not designed to exercise demons, so to say, but, but it is to break some bondage of sin. It's used as a protection against demonic forces. Now I did uh, discover this just in thinking back on the Esther story. Did you notice that in there they had the prayer and fasting but the fasting did not change the decree of the king. Circumstance didn't change, did it? The fasting did not make the king call Esther into his presence. Wouldn't that be great, prayer and fasting? And you get a phone call from the king. Hey, I want, to, I want you to come on over here. She still had to go through all that. And so it didn't magically change the king to, to invite her in. Fasting didn't guarantee that her life would be spared. She said, if I perish, I perish. Didn't guarantee it. And then the last thing I noticed, fasting didn't solve the crisis. The crisis was extermination of the Jews. So he didn't miraculously, but he did say, hey, they can defend themselves by whatever means, which I thought maybe they would have done it anyway, but... 
didn't change. So I, I do want, to, I'm going to wrap this up. I know I'm going over here, but uh, I'm going to wrap this up with um, sharing with you about a prayer and fasting guide that I put together for this occasion. I, I got a number of them out in the information center uh, right outside those double doors. But this is, uh, has plenty of uh, articles on fasting as well as a strategy of how to use prayer and fasting. And so if you're interested in doing more about that, uh, you know, what you're ask, being asked to do, what's the conditional nature of prayer, what promises can we embrace, what are the conditions to answered prayer, what's prevailing prayer, uh, what is the plan to begin and to grow your prayer time. There's some things that you could learn from that. Uh, what can we specifically pray for? So I include a list of many specific things that we can pray for as well. And what are some good prayer scriptures and then I also have, just in case you do want to add fasting to your prayers, uh, there's seven steps to a proper fast, things that you need to take into account before you just say, I'm not going to eat for 24 hours. Okay? So, uh, and, and some of those, I'll just say it publicly, uh, if your doctor doesn't recommend that, please do not do it. <laughs> so uh, I do want you to know about that. So as we conclude here, I want you to think about what is God impressing on you to do increase your prayer life do you think you need to add fasting to your prayer life can you fast one day a week can you fast one day a month and uh, and, and do that you know maybe God's calling you to do something what changes do you need to make in your life maybe you're trying to decide something you need to make a change and you need to seek God's guidance do we come in here and just check worship off our list of things to do this week. You know, maybe that needs to change and really seek after God. Expect Him to move in our midst and things like that. So uh, Belinda's actually going to play a, a song and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this song. It's called Have Thine Own Way, Lord. You've heard it before. You know this song. And so while the words will be on the screen, I'll invite us to stand up in just a moment. But the words will be on the screen, but more than just singing the words, I want you to, to sing this in your heart as a prayer to God. Can you sing these words as a prayer to God? So let me pray for us, and then um, we'll, we'll stand and sing this song. Lord God, you know, we're your children, those who have chosen to walk on this path of discipleship and spiritual maturity. Forgive us for our complacency and apathy in our spiritual lives. May we not be those of whom Isaiah writes in chapter 58. Don't allow us to play games in our church, in our spiritual lives. May we continue working toward living the great commandment and fulfilling the great commission. Convict us of sin. Mend our broken relationships. Listen as we cry out to you. May we fulfill the vows we have made to you and commit ourselves into your service. And we stand and sing these words to the Lord Jesus. Have thine own way. Amen.